Welcome to the Major Gifts Fundraiser podcast with Clark Van Deventer. I'm Monica, and we're excited to have the opportunity to help you raise more money for your nonprofit than you ever thought possible by developing deeper and more meaningful relationships with your donors. This podcast is designed to get you thinking, to challenge you, to inspire you, and to give you some practical tools that you can use right now in your work as a fundraiser. If you hear something that you'd like to learn more about, or if Clark mentions a resource you'd like to get your hands on, just email me. My email address is monica at majorgiftsfundraiser.com. That's monica, M-O-N-I-C-A, at majorgiftsfundraiser.com. We offer a variety of services to nonprofits and development professionals, from DIY, that's do-it-yourself, to DWY, done with you, to DFY, that's done for you. To learn more, just email me at monica at majorgiftsfundraiser.com. All right, without further ado, here's Clark. Buenos dias, mis amigos. Hey, Clark Van Deventer here from Major Gifts Fundraiser. I hope that you are having a great day. All right, just like that. Just like that, I am one week into my 40s. All right, a week ago today, I turned 40. And my mantra right now is working purposefully, but not frantically. Purposefully, but not frantically, right? Just getting up every day and going to work, right? And finding joy in my work. Isn't it awesome, right? Isn't it awesome to be engaged in work that we love, work that we feel that matters, just trying to serve whoever's in front of us. And uh, what an opportunity you have, right? Like, gosh, like seriously, this is what we do for a living, right? We connect people to causes uh, bigger than themselves. And we have an opportunity to bring joy into people's lives, right? To connect them to life-changing and world-changing work. It's just awesome. I am so thankful that I've been able to spend my career doing this. All right, what I want to talk about today is clues for finding major donors. So I am really down on wealth screening services. So a couple of, couple of things on these wealth screening services is one, I think that a lot of fundraisers use the fact that they don't have wealth screening as an excuse. They basically say like, well, I I don't know who to call on because my my organization hasn't done wealth screening. I don't know who to call on. Like just like what a cop out, right? Like just start calling people. Just go call on your donors, right? Just go start meeting with people and you will find good prospects. So do not use the fact that you've not done wealth screening as an organ or as an excuse for not meeting with your donors. Second thing is I've just seen these things to be wildly, wildly inaccurate. I have I have seen wealth screening services give me, uh, you know, a, a report on somebody and it'll tell me that this donor is capable of making a six-figure gift. And I've met with that donor. I may even know that donor intimately and know that they're nowhere near capable of giving that gift. And I've seen the opposite. I have I have worked with donors who've given seven-figure gifts, and they don't they don't show up at all as a match with these wealth screening services. And so I am just so incredibly skeptical of these things. 
And uh, the other thing is that I would say the only time I really care about wealth screening services is just one more factor. If I have two donors who live in the same neighborhood who have identical giving histories and one of them is a wealth on or a match on wealth screening and one of them is not, well, I guess I'll call the one who's a match first, but it's just a tiebreaker, right? And besides, I'm going to go meet with both of them anyway. And meeting with the donor will give me much better research than a wealth screening service does anyway. All right. So let's say, though, for, so first of all, most organizations, right, most don't, most development officers who tell me this, who, who complain about not having wealth screening, uh, who tell me this, they don't have so many donors anyway that they couldn't just work on calling all of them. <laughs> okay. So what a cop out. All right. But let's say that you do have a huge list. Let's say you have thousands of donors, right? And you're trying to figure out who to call. All right. So I want to walk through that right now. Some major donor clues. What are some clues you can look for um, in the giving history of your donors to figure out who you should call next? So you've got all these donors. If you only knew which one was about to be your next major donor, so let's say you have 100 donors or 1,000 donors or 10,000 donors, whatever the number, you probably know the 10% or not the 10%, you probably know the 10 who are most important to you, right? Like, so your list, you know who your current most important donors are, at least you better, okay? If you don't, you better, you should. But who among the other uh, pool of your donors is poised to be your next major donor with just a little cultivation, all right? So I talk about this acres of diamonds. Your donor roles are like vast acres of diamonds. There are diamonds out there, but you just don't know what you're looking for. So what are the clues? Like how can you tell, how do you know what an uncut diamond looks like? So, all right, you're planning a trip to San Diego. You have five donors you already know who you really want to meet with, okay? So let's say that one of those donors is already giving to your organization at a high level. Two are in cultivation. You've met with them. You've already identified them as qualified prospects. Two more you know to be major donor prospects, but they're ducking your calls and won't take a meeting, all right? These uh, these five individuals, these five people, right? The people who who have already or who are already giving at a major level, are in cultivation toward a major gift, or are prospects for major gifts. These five alone, or honestly, just one, right? Just that one. These five alone are worth making the trip. All right. So if you're sitting in your offices in St. Louis or in Washington, D.C., trying to decide whether or not it's worth it to go to San Diego to meet with these people. Yes, get on the plane and go, all right? Like, what are you waiting for? All right, but you're driven, right? And you want to be successful. So while these five donors or one donor alone would justify a trip to San Diego, you run a query, right? And you discover you have, let's say, 100 donors within 100 miles of San Diego who've given a gift to your organization in the past two years. All right, so now you've got these, this like 95 donors, all right? 95 donors who you could potentially meet with. 
All right, so who else do you want to meet with? So, of course, you'd take a meeting with any of these donors, right? Like, you never know where you will find your next major donor. So I've met with a $25 donor who became a six-figure donor, all right? And because you're driven by a desire to succeed, you leave no stone unturned. So these 95 people, you would meet with any one of them, all right? But still, 95 more plus the five you're already working with, 100 donors are too many to focus on for one trip, right? Like, sure, you'll send a visit letter to all of them. You'll make visit calls to anyone you have a number for, all right? The simple act of taking a meeting is like a donor identifying themselves as someone with cultivatable interest. But out of those 100, you have to review the list and pick out a few who you really want to focus on getting meetings with. Like you're going to give them some extra special attention. You'll make a few extra moves on these folks trying to get meetings. So you're going to do more than send the, vi- send the visit letter. You're going to do more than make the calls. You're going to make some extra moves on these people trying to get meetings. So who, who, which ones, which names on this list are you going to, to give that attention to? So when I'm looking at a list of donors, here are some things that get my attention. Number one, they've given lots of gifts. I don't even care about the amount, all right? Look for the donor who started giving 22 years ago and they've given every single year, all right? Or multiple times a year. Maybe they give monthly, whatever the specifics. They've been with you for a while and they are giving frequently, all right, lots of gifts, two or three gifts a year or every month or for several years. They've given lots of gifts. There's an affinity and there's history. All right, look for those people. Second thing that would get my attention is just a brand new donor. Like they gave their first gift a week ago or a month ago, right? I love this. These are the best. Like when, when someone makes their first gift to an organization and then like a week later, I'm going to be in their town. I just love it. Imagine the impression this makes on a first-time donor. It's half chance that you're calling them within a week or a month of their first gift. But the donor, like they don't, it's half chance, but wow, like I just started giving to this organization. They already want to meet with me. All right. Imagine the impression. All right. Uh, The third thing that would get my attention are high dollar direct mail donors. All right. They've never had any personal contact with the organization and they're already giving at a, at a high level, all right? So high being defined by the organization, right? Like a major gift to one organization means something different than a major gift to another organization. So whatever that number is for you, all right? If someone's giving at a high amount, a high dollar level, and they've never had any personal contact with the organization. So those people get my attention. All right, the fourth are jumpers. All right, these are people who just gave a gift above what they've typically given. All right, so you have a donor who always gives $100, maybe two or three times a year, and they just gave $500. Like, why? Right? Like, something changed. Either their financial situation changed or the way they view the organization changed. Either way, I want to be in their living room to find out why, what changed. All right. Um, the fifth thing I look for is just just go to the right neighborhoods, right? Like, yes, yes, 
there are the millionaire next door types, right? There's the millionaire next door who's been frugal all of his life, all right? Of course, those people exist. But go where the money is. Uh, what parts of this metropolitan area are there the greatest concentrations of wealth? Okay, so if you're going to San Diego, uh, when you're reviewing your list, pay special attention to names and places like La Jolla, Rancho Santa Fe, Coronado, right? Like if I'm going to Santa Barbara and I see the 93108 zip code, I know that's Montecito, right? Like it's it's there's there's a greater concentration of wealth there than there is in the zip code 93117, which is Goleta, right outside of Santa Barbara. Now there's people with lots of money who live in Goleta, right? But just go to the right neighborhoods. Of course, like, look, you'll meet with anyone, right? But I'm going to focus on those names first. By the way, this reminds me of, I, I was traveling with a development officer once. Uh, there was an organization that would hire me to, to go on typical donor trips with their development staff. They wanted, to, they wanted their development staff to see how I conducted discovery meetings, cultivation meetings early on, early meetings in the process. And this particular development officer was responsible for donors in the uh, northeastern region of the United States. And we're, we're traveling sort of between Syracuse and Buffalo. And I, I just say to the development officer, like, why, why are we here? <laughs> They're like, why, why aren't we in Boston or New York? And the development officer said, well, it's much cheaper to travel out here. Out here... I can uh, find us a nice hotel uh, for $100 a night. Well, the same hotel would cost us $200 a night in, if we were in Boston. <laughs> I laughed and I said, well, the, the problem with that is that out here we're asking for $1,000 gifts. And in Boston or New York, we'd be asking for $10,000 gifts, right? So the extra cost is justified, right? Because we're asking for bigger gifts. So go where the money is. Yes, there's money. I've raised big money in lots of different neighborhoods, right? And I've sat at humble kitchen tables uh, with amazing people who've been frugal and they're the millionaire next door and they've given big gifts and it's awesome, right? But I'm just telling you, over time, I've raised more money from neighborhoods like La Jolla, Rancho Santa Fe, and Coronado. Just have... All right, that's it. Hey, if you want some help looking at your list, just email me, Clark at MajorGiftsFundraiser.com, Clark at MajorGiftsFundraiser.com. I would love it, right? I'd love to talk with you about your list and your donors. Figure out where you should go next, or I'd love to travel with you. If you, if you would love to see how I conduct one of these trips, how do I prepare for a discovery meeting? How do I prepare for... A, uh, a cultivation meeting, a solicitation meeting, right? How do I establish my best possible outcome, my minimum acceptable outcome, script the meeting with what strategic questions I want to ask? I'd love to do that with you. So if that's of interest to you, email me, Clark at MajorGiftsFundraiser.com. That's Clark at MajorGiftsFundraiser.com. All right. Hey, one final thing. Remember, remember, I'm in Guatemala, right? My family, we've moved down here. For a year or so, our home, our permanent residence is in Lake Tahoe, California, but we're spending a year or so down here in Guatemala. 
So easy place for me to work and travel from. I got nonstop flights from Guatemala City all over the United States. But we have this special offer going on for the year 2020, which is if you want some, uh, if you want to talk shop with me, if you want to talk about development, about your career, about your organization, come to Guatemala and hang out with me. All right, just come on down and you get that coaching for the price of some street tacos. <laughs> just buy me some tacos. That's it. All right. Hey, thanks so much for listening. Have a great day. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Monica here again. I wanted to take a minute to tell you about our workshops and how you can bring Clark into your organization for a day or two workshop where he works directly with you and your team in your office. If you're benefiting from these podcasts, imagine how much more you could accomplish with Clark spending a couple days in your office. You can book a strategic development workshop with Clark. This all starts with Clark getting together on a long call with you, either over the phone or video conference. He's going to dig in. He's going to find out who you are, what your organization's about, what challenges you face, and just where you're at in general. Then he's going to provide a written development report. This report is something that you could give to your boss or your board. It's a professional outside assessment of where your organization is at. And that call is really important because Clark wants to know where you are so that when he comes in, he can spend his time addressing the issues that are most pertinent to you and where you guys are as an organization. So Clark's going to travel to you. He's going to get on a flight. He's going to come out to wherever you are and spend some time with you and your team. There's a real synergy that happens during these workshops. Everybody's on the same page. They're hearing the same message. They're starting to talk in the same vocabulary. It's really powerful. And, you know, when Clark first got started in fundraising, he was fortunate to have access to really great training. He went to professional seminars led by the best fundraising coaches of their time, but still he would leave and get back to his office and be back in the trenches. And even after having all that great training, when it was time to actually get back to work, he felt a little bit lost. There were doubts that crept in. How do I make this relevant to me? Then the organization he worked for hired one of those speakers, one of those coaches who was leading the seminars to come to their office and coach them directly. They did this multiple times and it was amazing. Clark got to spend some time with Gerald Panis. If you know him, you know how amazing he was at fundraising. And he got to travel with Jerry and meet with donors. Jerry became a mentor to Clark and that meant so much to his career because Jerry was the best fundraising coach of his time, hands down. He was a legend. Unfortunately, he passed away a few years ago, but he lived to be 89 and he was full of life to the end. Still, of course, it's very sad that Jerry is gone. But I think Clark is the Jerry Panis of this next generation. He has a letter from Jerry and it was written on Clark's behalf to a university president, and he wrote, Clark knows how to manage people. He works effectively with volunteers and board members. He knows every aspect of fundraising and operating a development office. Best of all, he loves asking for gifts. He's a star. I can't recommend these in-house workshops enough. 
they're a shot in the arm for your organization and you'll be so inspired. But not just inspired, you're going to feel motivated and equipped to take on the world. To find out more about these workshops, email me at Monica at Major Gifts Fundraiser. That's Monica, M-O-N-I-C-A at Major Gifts Fundraiser.com. Thanks for listening.